Hey, Emily, guess what I'm looking forward to? If I had to guess, I'd say your next meal. Well, true that. But even more than that, I'm looking forward to our annual Being Boss vacation in New Orleans. Same. We still have a handful of tickets left. So if you've been wanting to join us on our annual Being Boss vacation in New Orleans, consider this your sign to join us for a live podcast recording, masterclasses and workshops, and an epic boss celebration, and more with me, Kathleen, and your creative peers from all over the world. In the most magical city in the world, right? Yes. All right, the Being Boss Vacation is happening September 26th to the 28th in New Orleans. Go to beingboss.club slash NOLA for all the details. We hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. I'm Kate Flanders and I'm Being Boss. Today, we're talking about spending less money and making more time with Kate Flanders. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. Hey there, bosses. We know you're getting a lot of stuff done. You're checking off those to-dos and wearing a lot of hats in your creative business. But just because you can do it all doesn't mean you should. Take accounting. You know it's an essential part of your business, but becoming a self-taught accountant is only going to distract you from what you really want to be doing all day. FreshBooks Cloud Accounting will allow you to save your time and energy on administrative tasks by making keeping track of your books ridiculously easy. FreshBooks keeps your money organized with easy-to-use features like invoicing, time tracking, creating estimates, tracking expenses, late payment reminders, project collaboration, online payments, and so much more. So whether your creative career is still a side hustle or you're fully supporting yourself with your entrepreneurial endeavors, FreshBooks makes being boss a whole lot easier. Get a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks right now. Go to freshbooks.com slash being boss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. Hi, Kate. Hi. We're so excited to have you on the show. Oh my gosh, this is like a dream and also just really exciting. So thank you so much for having me. So you wrote a book called The Year of Less. I devoured it in an entire weekend. It was like one of those snowy, cold weekends. And I have this teeny tiny little reading nook. I had like a hot mug of tea and I just plowed through your book. It was so good. That's so sweet. And also something I keep hearing. Everyone's like, it's so funny because the book is about being a more mindful consumer, and I just binged it. So. <laughs> I guess there are worse things. <laughs> there are, yeah. It is It is funny, but um, no, I think it's it's also, also in a way just like tells me that it's a topic that people want to be talking about or can relate to if they're binging and diving it into it, so. Well, and what's funny about it is that I feel like minimalism has been a trend now probably since the economy crashed in 2008, um, because a lot of people just had no other options. So why not make it trendy? Why not make it cool? So we've got the minimalists. We've got people like Paul Jarvis, who own nothing except maybe a Porsche. Like we have (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> I mean, there there is this Marie Kondo and the life-changing magic of tidying up. So there is this trend with minimalism. It's It's nothing new, but... And even like your approach, like this experiment of not shopping for a year, I feel like a lot of people are really jumping onto challenges to hold themselves accountable, but it's almost like you blended all of the things. You blended a personal challenge, you blended minimalism, and then through it uncovered this deeply resonating story and lesson along the way. So... Let's let's hear you talk a little bit about what you learned from this. And maybe let's start by setting up by sharing with our listeners what you did, like the parameters of the experiment, and then go from there. Yeah, so it's funny because looking back or like when I started, I had no idea what I was doing. And I definitely had no idea that it would end up being such, you could say, like a life-changing year. I never, ever, ever thought that. Um, and I also think that was the best part of it. It's like it was just this thing that I decided to do because I wasn't happy with how I was spending my money and how little I was saving. So to like back it up, I could say I've been um, blogging or writing about my personal finances online since 2011. And I started back then because I was maxed out with um, close to $30,000 of consumer debt. So not even student loans, like nothing, nothing good for me. (laughs) Like, I straight up from the time I got my first credit card, just used it like it was extra money or just used it to basically afford the lifestyle that I couldn't really afford and ended up when I was 25 years old um, being maxed out. So I started my blog. Can I ask you real quick, like what kinds of things were you buying and how at 25, was there Pinterest? Was there Instagram? Like, were you trying to keep up with the Joneses? (laughs) Like, what were you spending your money on? So, I mean, good question. I don't think Pinterest was around yet, or at least that I wasn't using it. Um, But that's a good question. I think that if I really look back at my spending, I was someone who just said yes to everything for the most part. So yes to every invitation to like breakfast, lunch or dinner or drinks or coffee. Um, Yes to going shopping. And even if that meant I didn't buy a lot, I could buy like one thing but just yes, I always said yes. And I would, I definitely like was a bit of an emotional spender, at least like in two instances, I can look back and say that um, one was I went through a really awful breakup when I was like 23, 24, and probably spent like, let's be real, I probably spent like three grand in like a month, like put it all on credit. And also a couple months later, financed a new car. And it wasn't really expensive. It was like a $15,000 car. It wasn't like 40 or 50. It wasn't a Porsche. It wasn't Paul's Porsche. <laughs> like, it, it was definitely just me thinking back then that as long as I could afford the minimum payment, I could say yes. And then you get to a point where you can't. Or like I, I could afford the minimum payment, but I was, that was it. Like when I was maxed out, I had $100 left in my checking account and $100 left on one of my credit cards. And that was it. And I had to make that last me six weeks. So, And that's uh, when the money became real. Right? But I also feel like this is not an abnormal situation that you found yourself in. Where I have heard from so many people, and I even remember like super early, like my first credit card, like the stupid shit that I was buying on it. And I was lucky enough that like I had people in my life that helped me like cut the cord 
super soon, like $300 in, not $30,000 in. Um, but I feel like this is this is a really normal situation that a lot of people find themselves in, especially in our generation. Like we we were the first ones to have access to things like credit cards and lines of credit that early in our lives. And we didn't have people around to educate ourselves. Do you do you see moments in like earlier in your development that either did or did not prepare yourself or you for that situation? Well, it's sort of. Um, not, I guess kind of unique in that when I tell people this, like not everyone can relate to it, but I actually grew up in a house where my family talked about money all the time. And like my dad was the kind of person who he used to literally cut out articles about like retirement savings accounts or things like that. And like from the newspaper and leave them on my bed for me for when I got home from school. So I would come home and see these things all over my bed. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not reading that. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like 14, 15, 16 years old. Like I am not interested. Um, but my parents talked about money all the time, even just things like I knew how much they paid for the house. I knew how much they earned. Um, I knew how much things cost. Like I remember going to the grocery store and it's like, okay, family of five, you look at the bill. Like I, I knew all of those things. Um, and yet I still went on to make mistakes. So uh, there is something for me that I think is no matter how much, yeah, I don't know, like no matter how much we're taught about it, no matter how much, um, people tell you like the right things to do, you kind of need to get some experience with your, for yourself and like make your own mistakes. Because even that, like my parents weren't, they weren't just like born to be amazing with money they went out and made mistakes and then got better at it and so they were just like trying to share all their better things and then it's like okay well I still have to go make mistakes and then I'll learn better too (laughs) right and it sounds like you did learn better I mean you found yourself in a place where you were $30,000 in debt and you decided to make a change Yeah, so I started my blog back then, like in 2011, and it was totally anonymous. Um, I didn't want anyone in my real life to know how much debt I had. So I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell most of my friends, like I told my best friend Emma, and that was basically it. Um, But I started blogging and my blog back then was so awful. Like it was, (laughs) imagine like if you were trying to track your workouts or track what you're eating, like literally all I was doing was tracking my spending and so it would be like Monday, I spent $2.91 at Starbucks. I feel Tuesday. like this would be my favorite blog to read ever. <laughs> well, they, they still exist. I, like people still do it. I love that. I love just like the, you know, nitty gritty details. Like let's get real here. Okay. And so then what did that do for you? Did the blog get you out of debt? Like what, what happened next? I think that having the blog helped me stay accountable to myself that's what it was always meant to be like it was just kind of my spending journal the same way you'd have a dieting journal or something like that like it was just a journal for me so it it definitely helped me um, figure out some of my spending like number one by tracking my spending I started seeing where things were going and I was like oh I actually don't feel that great about how much I'm spending on x y or z so I just started naturally cutting back Um, I also started getting some readers and then so then I had people to stay accountable to and yeah so in 2013 paid off my debt so I finished it uh, it was two years and I actually had all these thoughts of like well I should just delete my blog now like that's it served its purpose like that's what it was for 
Um, but I kept it going and I was like setting these new goals for myself where I was like, I want to save 20% of my income, which should have been very doable based on all my numbers. Um, but instead every single month that I was debt free for the first year, I found I was like basically spending all my money. So I didn't go back into debt, but I was like lucky if I was saving 5% and I would just like be writing these blog posts being like, Hey guys, so here's all the reasons I'm going to justify to you why it's okay that I spent 95% of my income, but it never felt good in real life. And it never felt good writing those posts. So one of the things that I loved about your book too is that you were getting out of debt and it's not like you all of a sudden landed a six-figure job. It's It was all very modest, right? And so I would I would love to hear kind of your take on that, like how you don't have to have a windfall or be loaded or even just make more money. Because for me, even as a creative entrepreneur with the unlimited potential to make as much as I want, sometimes I'm like, well... I could just launch a thing and try and have like a $50,000 launch, like if I needed to get out of debt like that. So tell me more about like your circumstance and getting out of debt on a salary that wasn't like crazy. Yeah, I mean, th- there's two parts to this. Like, so one, I can say I, I looking back, I think I was pretty extreme about it, like, and just very aggressive. I, I just remember this feeling of realizing I was maxed out being like so ashamed and so worried that I had ruined all my chances at having a strong financial future. So, and it just felt so awful, like that weighed on me so heavily. So I became like obsessed with getting down to zero. I wanted it all gone, which I think was a great motivator. But the problem was that um, I just was really hard on myself that whole time. Like I didn't say a lot of kind things to myself. I was so just like mad and ashamed and felt guilty all the time. So I was, I was like too hard on myself when I paid off my debt. And I actually think that's one of the reasons I went back to spending my money is because I just didn't really take the time to learn any lessons. Um, But I will say, I mean, I, I cut back quite drastically. I didn't really travel or like go away for any weekend getaways, like anything like that. Um, Gosh, what else did I do? I, I started saying no a lot, <laughs> like instead of saying yes. Um, but I also changed a lot of things, like activities that my friends and I did. So instead of always going out, it became a lot more of like, I'm super lucky to live in like one of the most beautiful parts of the world. Like, why don't we go for a hike or go down to the water or something like that? Um, and and so I actually feel like my friendships grew a bit, but me personally, like being that hard on myself and having no sort of fun money in my budget wasn't healthy. I also will say that I wish I had saved more. Um, even just like a little bit, like even if I just had a thousand or $2,000 cash around, like if I needed it, because I didn't like when I finished paying off my debt, I maybe had $500 in the bank. So that whole time, it's like I was forcing myself to live paycheck to paycheck, which is I mean, again, I reached my goal, but the goal was a little bit arbitrary. I didn't need to do it in two years. Like that was just something I set for myself. If I, if I could go back, part of me is like, I think I would have done it in like two and a half years and just saved a little bit of money, something that would help me sleep at night. Um, Because that's what I have now. And like, now I have amounts where I'm like, if I have less than like these thousands of dollars, I like literally can't sleep. So like, I don't know how I did it back then. Okay, so then what prompted then the year of less? Like, how did you go from getting out of debt to spending 95% of your income to then deciding, oh, hey, this is it? 
So it's sort of funny because there was, again, a conversation with my family that like prompted it. But I will say first, keeping in mind that this is something I'd been thinking about every month for 12 months in a row, writing these monthly budgets where I'm like, hey, guys, like I don't feel good about the fact that I've barely saved anything. But here's the reality. These are the numbers. Um, So kind of for all year, I'm having those moments of being like, I know I can do better, but I don't know what that looks like yet. And then had this conversation with my family where my sister, who is, she was 20 years old at the time, and I'm like about to turn 29. And she's living at home, um, going to university full time and working part time. And she tells us she bought something that was like $500. And so we're kind of bugging her being like, oh, like you shouldn't spend all your money. Like you've got school to pay for. Like that's why you're at home. So like you've got to deal with that. And she goes, yeah, but like I save 20% of my income so I can do whatever I want. Like, oh my God, (laughs) how is my sister saving 20% of her income on her part-time job while she's in school? And I can't do that making a decent salary. uh, And I'm almost 29. Like, how, how can I not do this? So at first I'm thinking about that. But then the words out of my mouth were, yeah, but you live at home. Do you really need 80% of your income or could you live on less? And then it's one of those moments where like, you don't hear what anyone else says. And you're just like, wait, how how have I never said those words to myself? Like, do I need 95% of my income? Or could I be living on less than that? And so from there, I was just like, okay, like, the wheels started going. And I'm like, I've got to try something different. I don't know what that looks like yet. So I'm, I'm sort of throwing different things around. I'm like, maybe I do something where I just don't spend Uh, extra money here, extra money there. I don't know. And then I just kind of let that sit for a couple weeks. I'm paying more attention to like my surroundings and my home and and my life. And I'm like, okay, like looking around my home, I really don't need anything. Um, So what if I do something where like I don't shop for a year, like I can't buy anything new, can't bring anything into my home unless like I absolutely need it. And on top of that, I'm going to cut out takeout coffee and totally like I am not one of those personal finance people who'll be like, you can't have your $5 latte. I drink, I drank a $5 latte this morning. So like, you can do whatever you want. Uh, But for me back then, I was not happy with how much I was spending on it. Like it was still just this habit that I was spending a ton of money on. And I was like, I would rather get to a place where coffee feels more like a treat. Um, And so I, I will not buy that for a year. And that was sort of it. Now, It's funny because that still sounds really restrictive in some ways. And I got, and and still to this day, like get sort of pushback on that of like, oh, it sounds like too harsh, too restrictive. I think there's part of it, like, it's like the word ban. And I'm like, like, I'm not a branding expert. I should have called you guys. Like, (laughs) just like, if, if I could have done it so somewhat differently, I think what I would call it now is more like a browsing ban, because at the end of the day, that's the biggest habit that I changed that year, at least shopping wise, is I had to just stop looking around because my my realization or one of them throughout that year was like, if you stop looking, you will stop finding things to buy. Right. And like, I, I buy lots of stuff like when I need it now, but uh, I, I wish I had called it that because that would sort of now set the tone of like, it's not that restrictive. It's meant to just stop looking for more. I have two thoughts about this. One, yes, it's restrictive. Yeah. Deal, right? Yes, it is. But that's what I needed. And I'm kind of one of those like all or nothing kind of people. So I do better under really strict rules of all or nothing. Um, And then two is 
the browsing ban. That is one of my biggest takeaways from your book. And one of the things that I do instantly now is if I do buy something, for example, I just bought myself some Nike Air Force Ones. I've Heck been wanting yes. so I've bad. heard about those for weeks. So I finally <laughs> bought them kind of almost even as like a book gift to myself. Like I did this thing. I'm going to buy myself a pair of shoes. So I bought the Nike Air Force Ones. And whenever you check out, you'll notice that you are always giving your email to wherever you're checking out, right? Mm -hmm. And this is online because I'm doing online shopping. As soon as I get the email to my inbox that like your order has been received, we're shipping it, I hit unsubscribe because they're going to keep selling you things over and over and over again. So for me, even just unsubscribing, like not even a browse ban, but like unsubscribe. And I also wonder if this is why people are so sensitive to, you know, even advertising and Instagram. And it's hard because even if you're not watching TV or commercials or you have the things blocked in your browser or you're unsubscribing, like you're still getting it on Instagram. So I think it is a good muscle to develop. Just keep scrolling right past it. Well, and I think you get it everywhere. And it's only going to get worse. Like as the world becomes more like techie, (laughs) like you're going to be walking into stores and having things buzzing in your ears about what it is that you need to be buying because of the last 15 times you've been in the store. Like we have to start stretching these muscles now because it's not going to get easier yeah no I think you're right it's even um all kinds of different trends that we are seeing or like even ones that people they see but I don't think they get it yet like Instagram listens to you if you have um if you give Instagram access to your microphone it listens to you so I'll hear from friends they're like oh like Instagram got me you know I saw that ad a bunch of times and I eventually bought the thing and I'm like it's not that Instagram like got you it's that they literally have been listening to you and or seeing that you've been interacting with that ad in some way so you have to just be aware of what what is happening and that it's very much like this is why I will not have the phone in my bedroom while I'm doing it (laughs) (laughs) because you don't want to know the stuff you're gonna see like that's all I think about with the internet listening to us I'm like oh my gosh the internet is hearing all of my orgasms. All Great. of them. Great. All that is amazing. 100,000 of them. I am abundant. <laughs> Best use Perfect. of that word ever. Perfect. Okay, but okay, back to the year of less. So I want to make it clear. <laughs> I want to make it clear to our listeners that it wasn't like you weren't buying anything. Like one of my favorite documentaries is No Impact Man, where like he's Ooh. literally making no waste. So it wasn't like that. You're still buying groceries. I think that you gave yourself like three things. Like maybe you needed a new mattress. Like you had yeah. like an exception list and it was very minimal. Yeah. I mean, so if I broke down, I kind of wrote three lists. Like one is things you're allowed to buy. Obviously, groceries, I could put gas in my car, um, toiletries, like, but it had to be something I run out of and actually use. So if I run out of my moisturizer, I'm absolutely about to buy, allowed to buy more moisturizer. That's fine. Um, so anything that I actually used and ran out of could buy. Um, I was also allowed to buy gifts for people. People keep asking me about that. And I'm like, yeah, like if buying gifts that you want to be able to do that, do that. I didn't want anyone else to be impacted by this. I wanted it that I wasn't bringing more stuff into my home that I didn't need. Um, so it could still do that. And then the things I couldn't buy was 
long, but because I truly like just looked around my home and literally looked at things being like, I need more of this. I don't need more of that. Um, so like things like clothes, shoes, accessories, um, books, magazines, electronics. But again, like if something came up and I really needed it, I was allowed to buy it. Like actually I'm someone who, um, I've always sort of actually been this way. I only own one pair of jeans and that year, uh, my jeans ripped in the inner thigh, which like, I think all women can relate to at some point with a pair of jeans that has happened. Um, you can't really fix that or like you can fix it temporarily, but it does not last. So I attempted to fix that twice and then was like, no, I'm just going to buy new jeans. Um, and then there was a list of a few things I could buy. Cause again, like looking ahead, seeing I was going to do it for a year. Um, I was like, okay, like I, I wanted to buy a new bed if, if I could save the money for it, because my bed was so old, it was like 13 years old and I probably should have replaced it at like year nine. Um, but had kept it going. I was like, no, like if I can save the money, I want to do that. Um, I had five weddings to go to that year. So I was like, I need an outfit for all the weddings. I will just wear it to all of them. Um, gosh, I don't know. There were a couple other little things, but it was just stuff that looking ahead, I knew I would probably need. So if I found myself in those situations, I could buy those things. And what was the biggest surprise during your year of less? Um, Actually, I mean, there's probably a bunch of different ways I could answer this. I think one of the biggest surprises was that I didn't think anyone would care in the sense that like I didn't think my family, well, my family didn't really care, but I didn't think my family (laughs) or friends or like anyone kind of in my regular life would care. And no one, I guess, like cared that I was doing it. But something I realized is how normal it is for us to talk about shopping it is part of so many conversations like, oh, I just bought this. Oh, I just got a deal at this place. Oh, I even like commenting like, oh, where did you get that thing? Like we talk about the things that we've purchased a lot. And I really didn't realize that until I'm standing there in those conversations being like, I have nothing to bring to the table right now. Like I have no stories to share. I have no deals to tell you about or anything like that. Instead, I'm kind of like, did you need to buy those things? <laughs> like, why are we talking about this? That's um, so interesting. And I I think like I know that that happens when you make a decision that's sort of countercultural because I quit drinking when I was 27, actually when I was paying off my debt. And it's the same thing, like drinking is very normal. So it's very normal to be part of a lot of conversations where you're like, oh, I, I have nothing to say here anymore. I can tell you old stories about when I drink, but like I have nothing new to add. And so I, I knew that um, it's even like I've been vegetarian on and off before. And like people have comments to make when you don't eat meat. Like it's just there's always something or there's always kind of a moment where you do feel like the odd man out. But I, I really didn't realize how much we talked about it until that year. So then did it force you to talk about other things? Did it force you to think about other things rather than what you were going to buy? Like, I'm so curious about the amount of space that this opened up and Even like, do you think that it contributed to your entrepreneurial journey? Like, tell me more about like what, what resulted from this? I mean, oh my God, there's so many things. (laughs) I'm so excited to have this conversation with you guys because it's one I haven't really been able to have anywhere. So I'll start by saying that like, it definitely in like, even just the first few months, because at the same time I um, started doing this, I also started decluttering and getting rid of a lot of stuff. So even in just the first few months alone, I got rid of like 50% of my belongings. 
And by the end of the year, it was 70. Now I would say it's probably closer to like 80%. And I don't keep track anymore. I kept track in the beginning because I'm, I love numbers and I'm weird like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think like, even in just the first few months, I realized that number one, by removing my focus or just shifting my focus from like always kind of looking at what more I could add to my life. I now was like, oh, I actually have a lot of time and energy and space like right in front of me that I can be focusing on things right now rather than be constantly looking ahead or looking for more. And so I definitely noticed up front that I very quickly um, sort of let go along with all these belongings, let go of these ideas of like this other version of myself that I might ever become. So I just had all different kinds of creative projects that like I thought I would do one day, like I'm magically going to be this amazing photographer one day or like a scrapbooker, all these things and just like let it go because these were things that I had owned some of them for up to like eight to 10 years and literally never touched any of it. Like it was like, I would just buy it thinking like, oh, because I own it, now I am this person. And it's like, no, 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 like the value comes from actually using the thing, learning, making mistakes, like getting messy with it. I never did that. So I was like, I had to let go of all of that. And then kept like, as I was doing that, kept moving towards like, oh no, I'm a writer. I can just focus on my writing. And so not only was I focusing on my writing, like for my blog, but I also found I started picking up more freelance work. Um, and that was awesome because like, it was something I think that in years before I'd always done like a little bit, like I got freelance writing jobs basically as soon as I started my blog, like within just a few months. And it was really neat to see that I actually did have time and energy to do more of that. I really had sort of put this pressure on myself or like, always felt like I didn't have the time for that. Like I, I could only manage kind of this bare minimum amount. And then I was like, oh no, I actually have a lot. I can do more. Um, so was was this time freed up from not shopping or was it time that, or was it like some other mindset shift that happened? I know. I kind of think of like, Emily, whenever you and I are talking about resources, you know, whether it's in like our CEO day kit or whether it's in our book or wherever we're talking about resources, like we are constantly thinking about how we have limited resources. And for us, it always comes down to time, money, and energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that those three things are intricately like woven together in ways that we don't even know or understand. And I feel like because you unlocked the money one, maybe it somehow unlocked the other two as well, being energy and time. I agree. I think that I didn't understand it in the moment. And I think only more recently have really started to figure this out. So like, let me see if I can explain it even. I think a little bit of it was like, I'm no longer browsing, which also naturally has just meant like even looking at my computer a little less or looking at my phone just a little bit less. So then you do have more time. But I also think that it really was... um mindset stuff in that because I wasn't looking for anything else to sort of occupy my time I could finally like laser focus a little bit more on what I actually wanted to be doing whereas I think because I had no goals before I was just kind of like floating around that is why I was mindlessly spending my money too right like it's just like if I didn't have something to actually be working towards it's so you I don't know there's no marker of what to say yes or no to because you're just like, sure, whatever, <laughs> like, I can do anything. But once I actually started to set certain goals for myself, I was like, oh, no, like that makes it easier to say yes or no to these things because I'm working towards this. 
Um, so to not be shopping, like that was just sort of one no, but it freed up, I guess, like all those things, time, energy, and money to then be able to like figure out what I actually wanted. Uh, and then to start saying yes to things that would move me towards that. So it was, it was just so interesting. Like I said, in the beginning, I had no idea anything was going to shift really for me. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to get to the end of this year and like save some money and like not buy some stuff. (laughs) Like, it'll be great. Um, what ended up happening throughout that year though, was that, so I'd say like by January, February of that year, I should say I started in July. Um, by January, February, I realized I was really unhappy in my day job. And, and for, I mean, all kinds of reasons, I think it was such a great, um, career move for me to make, to take that job. I basically got that job because my then boss used to read my blog and asked if I wanted to go work for her. And it was a financial startup. So it was like, all kinds of things were perfect about it. And I've like created amazing relationships, like lifelong friendships with people that I worked with there. But I wasn't growing anymore. I wasn't challenged in any way. Um, writers will get this, like basically everything was for SEO, which like you can only do for so long. <laughs> and yeah, so event- I was like, I'm really unhappy in my job. What can I do? And And then I sort of realized I was already making the exact amount of money um, to cover my living expenses just through freelance work. And so then because I was saving some money throughout the year, all of a sudden it like became a possibility to quit my job. And so then I was like, okay, like I would like to actually have a financial goal here rather than just like spend less and save more. Like I actually really want to save up like four to six months of my living expenses line up work and quit my job. And then like the last half of the year became so focused on like save, 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 save so I can quit my job. And so the last half honestly was like pretty easy. Like everyone's like, how did you finish the shopping ban? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like it was so easy in the last few months because I was just like obsessed with quitting my job. This Being Boss episode is brought to you by 2020, where creative minds get authentic real world stock photos. If you're looking to tell a true story through your brand to deliver an honest message to your audience on social media, the photos you use will matter. 2020 has crowdsourced millions of photos from a community of over 350,000 photographers, all available under a simple royalty-free license. Today, they're offering listeners of Being Boss a five-photo free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash being boss to get five free photos okay i have so yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) one do you think that the career change came from do you think that it would have happened if you hadn't been doing this this experiment do you would you have become as like discontent in your job if you hadn't if you hadn't been doing this So discontent, I think, was always going to happen because I had definitely been feeling that like in little increments before. Um, I think that it definitely fast tracked the chance to quit. Um, But it was interesting, even when I first thought about quitting my job, all I was thinking about was like, I will move on to another job. I never I still wasn't really thinking about quitting to go freelance. So I was still like looking at job boards and stuff like that, like trying to figure out what else was out there. And I had sort of a list of criteria of what that might look like, what the dream job would be for me, realizing none of it um, lined up 
really, or I couldn't find anything that had all the things. And actually, like, this is really weird, but you guys launched the podcast at the exact same time that this was happening. So We did that just for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty wild because you launched in, like, January of 2015. Yeah. Yep. So that was, like, exact same time when I knew I definitely want to quit. And magically, this little podcast popped up into the universe. And there's a line actually in the book where I talk about how one podcast in particular I was listening to and I would find at the end of every episode, my place was super messy again, because it'd be like covered in notes of like different things that I could do or things that um, could propel me forward, at least in the direction. And I think it was the first time that I really realized that I was sitting on something like my blog was a resource that could help me make money. So actually in April of that year, so like just a few months before the shopping ban ended, I launched my first digital product. And like I set a goal and like I'd love to make like $2,000 in the first week. And I did it and was just like, oh my gosh, like I can actually make money through this thing too, like on top of freelance. Um and so I, I, yeah, I will just say like, thank you to you guys for actually like launching at the exact right time. <laughs> I love That's that. amazing. So I'm even wondering, I'm even wondering here if like the process of creating this goal, getting halfway through it, wasn't like an impetus to push you towards not getting another job, but instead doing freelance. Do you, th- and I think just rephrasing the question, I guess I asked a minute ago, like, was that the cause of you making that choice? Like, would it have been the same if you hadn't, if you hadn't started this project and successfully seen your way through it six or seven months into it? Yeah. So I definitely think that without the shopping ban, like without the experiment that I was doing, um, I would never have felt comfortable quitting to go out on my own. And it, that is pretty much like because of the finances, So I will say, like, remember, at the start of the year, I was living off like 95% of my income. But by the end of the year, I lived on an average of 51% of my income. And that meant that I had, like, I had to earn less to at least be able to take the chance to quit. So I was like, okay, I'm and if you guys want real numbers, like, my living expenses back then were about $2,100 to $2,300 a month. And I was already making that through freelance work. So I was like, okay, like, I've proven I can at least make the living expenses. I also need to earn more because I need to save for taxes. And I like to travel. So like, I need more money. But like, I think I can do this. And so then like, once I made the decision, which truly like, if I hadn't been doing the shopping ban, I think I would have been living off 95% of my income forever. And so I never like I never or I don't know, I think it would have taken a lot longer for me to feel comfortable to make that decision because I I would have needed so much more money on a monthly basis to be able to do it. But because I cut back and then figured out like every single month, my living costs were about the same. So throughout the book, it kind of looks like my living expenses go up and down like percentage wise. But that's because some months I would spend like I would earn more through freelance for starters and then I would um, spend more on travel or spend less on travel. So it was sort of like a, I don't know, like a, <clears throat> it was sort of like a roller coaster up and down of uh, what it looked like every month. But my living expenses were like this flat out like twenty one to twenty three hundred dollars a month. Uh, and so I just I needed to make that and then started doing the math and being like, OK, like if I could make maybe like five thousand a month, that would be sweet. Like I could 
happily live off of that and I would be solid. Whereas before I was just blowing money on I don't even know what. I, I want to talk for a second about the money tracking. Were you tracking your money at all, like before, like whenever you were racking up your debt? Um, how were you tracking it during the phase of you're still spending all of your money versus how you were tracking it during the year of less and afterwards? It's Yeah, it changes all the time. Um, so before, like when I was racking up my debt, I had never tracked my spending in my life. The way that I used to budget back then even was literally I would pull like a sticky note off a pad and write down the amount of money I knew was coming on Friday. Then I would like on just paper be like, okay, subtract like X amount for rent, X amount for bills, like minimum debt payments, whatever. I would see I would have maybe like $100 left over. And then I'm like, okay, perfect. And like everything else is going on credit. And so I never tracked. I just did these like post-it budgets that proved I didn't I like I didn't have enough money and so I kept using my credit cards to make up for the rest that's um, what I did in my early 20s the post-it plus yeah. what I called intuitive banking oh what's where that where I could just kind of like feel if I had <laughs> money or not I like I like I wish I had had that or that the answer had been like yes you have money mine was always like no you have no money <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then when I, so when I paid off my debt, um, I started by tracking by hand. So I'm very much pen and paper, um, with budgeting, especially there's something about it for me that I just know I will feel the transfer of money more if I write it down by hand. So people always ask me like, Oh, like what apps do you like? Do you use mint? Do you use whatever? And I'm like, no, I don't. And I've tried all of them. Like I've tried YNAB. I've tried like everything. But it, there's something for me, like, I really need to put pen to paper. And then, like, at the end of every week, what I would do is, like, write all my spending for a week, look at the numbers, and then I would update a budget that was a proper spreadsheet, um, add them up, and then just say, like, am I happy with these numbers? And, like, what felt good? What felt bad? Um, it, things now that I look at when I with my spending is, like, do I feel good about or, like, proud of any of my financial decisions? And that answer can go so many ways. Like, it can be you know, am I, um, like, or things I could be proud of are, like, that I was able to um, maybe treat a friend to coffee or lunch or something, or it could be that I paid off a bill or what, like, it can be totally different every single week. Um, but it was, I've always been pen to paper for the tracking part. Um, the year of less is when budgeting shifted a little bit for me, because I became a lot more interested in percentages. I think probably from that conversation with my sister and like the lack of saving I had been doing. So I became really obsessed with percentages. So I was still tracking. Um, but what I was sharing on the blog every month was percentages. And so that's why that's percentages in the book, just because that's, that's, I don't know, that's where my head was at then. Um, and now I actually don't really budget that much at all, but I track my net worth every month. And I find actually the use of the word abundance. Um, I actually find it helps me keep a more abundant mindset about money because instead of just looking at the nitty gritty all the time, I'm looking at the big picture and like making sure I'm continually moving in the right direction, which is up, not down. So if I ever have a month where something is like flat or I've gone down a little bit, then I will go back and look at the numbers and be like, okay, what's going on here? Um, so it changes all the time. So what are you using to track your net worth is, are you in mint now or something like that? That's where I do it because it just brings all my accounts into one place. 
Yeah, no, I do um, still just everything in like the most basic spreadsheet I've created for myself. So it's there's nothing pretty or fancy about it. And then I just log into my accounts on the first every month and um, update the numbers. And then I like have a little line that's just like, how is this different from last month? And how is this different from the beginning of the year? Uh, just okay. to see see where things are going. So I'm really curious to hear more about after your year of less ended, what kind of boundaries or habits or routines did you keep in place? Like what what changed, maybe even more long lasting change and what changed as far as like, okay, I'm going to drop that from the year of less like and do this differently now? I think shopping related, I the the most important boundary I have now is sort of that I just have to have felt the need for something before I will buy it. And that can mean everything from just like being in a situation where I've run out. Like I've, if you run out of toothpaste, I mean, you got to go buy new toothpaste. <laughs> like, um, so it could be like that. It could be um, last year, actually, I moved into a new place and I'm a big person especially with moving is like live there for a little bit and then figure out what you need in that space because every space is different so after living there for a few months realized that um and this is such a silly example but like realized that the front closet like for coats it just like opens in such a way that it like hits a wall and you're gonna like make marks all over the wall and I'm like I'm a renter I'm not gonna like destroy this place to use this awkward closet so instead of leaving my like wet rain jacket on the floor I'm going to buy a coat rack for this place like I've never needed that in any home I've lived in before but I'm like that feels important for this home um so I really just have to feel the need for something before I buy it and Honestly, if I look at a lot of the decisions I make now in general, that is sort of just sort of a boundary I have for like all things. Has that become a sort of natural boundary or is it something that you still like consistently almost have to like hold your money back? Mm, that's a good question. Um, definitely not because I think that I'm, I've learned, I learned that year and just like in general, like what things bring me joy or just like. Um, I can't remember what the, the Marie Kondo thing is like what sparks joy or like whatever, but really just like the things that I actually use and I know add value to my life. Um, so I will say actually one of the things that in the shopping ban was that I couldn't uh, buy books. I buy lots of books now. Um, I'm I, sitting here thinking about how that would be the thing that would kill me the most would be not being able to buy books. Well, and it's funny. <laughs> that was honestly that and the takeout coffee were the two hardest things to deal with that year. And I've done interviews where people have like laughed at me for that. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, number one, it's not about the book or the takeout coffee. It's that those were things I had huge habits around. Right. So like I had so many habits, especially with the coffee. I did it like once or twice a day. So that means once or twice a day, you're facing a situation where you have to recognize you have a habit and then change your reaction. And that was really hard. And the the books was the same thing. Like I realized that I, I bought books probably at least weekly and then I couldn't. So like at least once a week I was in a situation where I'm like, oh, my God, I want to buy that thing okay, I can't like have to slow down and like figure out what I'm going to do instead. Um, so I do buy books now and I buy not a lot of books, probably like half as many as I used to buy. But the thing now is I actually read them. Like I buy things when I'm actually going to read them. 
Um, not just because like I want to read it one day, because I think that's a big thing I've learned, especially with like the browsing and buying things too early is I used to buy so much stuff for this, this person I was going to be one day or this like magical time I was going to free up in the future to do that thing. And I never did. So it's so much more now like, okay, no, this is actually a book I need right now. I'm going to buy it right now. I want to dig a little bit into like the deeper, you know, how how buying things was a symptom for something else. And then also, though, how once you free up and like get to the root of that, how then there are deeper motivations that start to surface from not spending. So I know from your book, you did an amazing job of blending in your story. And really, it wasn't just about not shopping as a consumer and the problems with that, but it was about, you know, your history and the things that you were masking with or, you know, soothing or whatever um, with shopping. And, and then you come out of that and six months in, you're like, oh, I have this deeper motivation for now wanting to quit my job. And this is like a deeper why that surfaces. It's not just getting out of debt. It's not just numbers on a piece of paper. It's this thing that you want to do. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I would say that the, the bigger conversation almost there to be having is like, that I think that I used to come at a lot of things from a place of just like a lack of self-worth and confidence. So even when I look back at, I mean, definitely the things I talked about in the book, obviously like um, buying certain things. Um, I talk a lot about drinking and why I quit drinking or just why it was so important really for me to quit drinking. Um, I also touch a bit on like binge eating, even things like binging on Netflix and how certain times when I was doing those things, it was definitely coming from a, yeah, just a lack of self-worth and, and confidence in myself. And I think that challenging myself, for starters, and then seeing like, oh, I can do a hard thing, um, gave me then a little bit more confidence. And like, not only can I accomplish something, but then when there's other goals in front of me, I'm like, oh, like, I could potentially do that. And then like just seeing that I could every single month make some progress towards that goal, it all helped boost my confidence actually. And that is the part that I really never ever thought was going to come from this, right? Like I'm literally thinking it's all going to be about numbers. And I'm like, maybe going to get to the end of the year and be like, hey guys, I saved a few thousand bucks or something. Like how cool is that? Um, But at the end, like I remember being so afraid to quit my job um and being oh my god sorry I literally remember like shaking like um I was working remotely at the time then and so I remember having to call my boss and quit over the phone and I was like shaking I was so nervous and the words out of her mouth were oh I always knew I was gonna get this call and I was just like what (laughs) like what do you mean you always knew that and it was it was first of all eye-opening that like sometimes people see things in you that you can't see in yourself but it was just one of those reminders for me that I I probably had been on that track for a while and I just really couldn't see it. I couldn't see it because I was so focused on other things. Like I was worried about money or I was worried about whatever. And so I couldn't see that maybe I did have some kind of skill or just something to bring to the table. Um, and when I finished that year, it was the first time that I really felt like I understood who I was. And I was still so freaking nervous. Like when I... I wrote a blog post at the beginning sort of talking about like 
how change is super scary. And I was like terrified to quit my job. Um, I had no idea how long I would be able to make it last for. But I had done enough that like I I'd saved up at that point, it was about four or so months of living expenses. And I'd lined up at least six months of work ahead of me. And I was like, but if I can just quit my job and do this for six months, it will be so worth it. And and had that confidence that like, if I can't figure it out after that, like, I, I think I can also get a job again. Um, right. And now it's been three years, though. Three years. Are you ever freaking out about money? Yeah, I mean, like, not freaking out. Um, I would say, actually, it's sort of like a mantra that I have for myself now, which is, if I feel like I'm about to freak out, I remind myself that I've never gotten myself into a financial situation I couldn't get myself out of. And I also sort of had numbers and and they're, I don't know, internal ones for me, like they're markers that if if my money's going down, like I have sort of like a low number that I'm allowed to let my accounts get to. Um, but even when I feel like I'm within kind of four or $5,000 of that, it just is motivation for me to make some more money. And then what do you do to make more money? Oh my gosh. Well, this is a really good question. <laughs> Only because again, I think it's interesting how much it has shifted. When I quit my job, I was, I did, I don't know. It's like classic mistakes of just like saying yes to all kinds of work, being way too busy, working like 80 hours a week and being like, what am I doing with my life? I think everyone should do like, I think everyone should wait tables and everyone should say yes to everything that first year of working for yourself. Yeah, because that is then what helped me figure out which things I actually liked doing and which I didn't. So I was slowly able to cut back certain things. I remember when I had one client, they were my only client who I worked for on an hourly rate. And when they were like, oh, we don't have any more work. I'm like, perfect, because I don't want to do it anymore anyways. And then so like that freed up a little time. And so I've like slowly um, gotten to this place where I actually it was two years into it that I was like, I actually don't want to be freelancing at all. Like, that's like not what I want to be doing. And I had I've had some friends have to still say like, hey, girl, like, you're unhappy right now because you're doing too much freelance. Do you remember that's not actually why you quit your job? Like, at the end of the day, you don't want to be a freelancer for life. Like, it's great that it's been this amazing stepping stone for you, but like, you don't have to do it for life. Um, so things that I've done, like I've done five seasons of a podcast with a friend, um, which FreshBooks also sponsored us too. So they've been great. Um, gosh, I, one thing, so I had my first digital project product, uh, that I'd launched in 2015. And I had that going for, basically up until recently, I also then developed it into an annual planner. So it was um, a actual budgeting planner that you could do like by hand. And um, Kathleen, we were talking on Instagram about like things I want to burn to the ground and how I'm like in this phase right now of like wanting to burn all my projects to the ground. And it's actually that one. Um, And it's not because I don't love it. I still stand behind it. But it's been realizing like the direction I'm moving towards that doesn't feel like it's part of it anymore. And so what was really cool and it was pretty boss actually was that I sort of told a few friends that like, I love the planner. I love the product, but like, I don't, I don't think I want to do it. And a friend, a friend of mine was like, oh, well, I would buy that off you. And I just sold it to her as a business. So yeah, so that was, that's so smart because like, you know, sometimes I think about burning things to the ground without thinking about selling it first. Well, and it was something that like, I, I don't know. I sort of was like, can I sell that? Like, it's just this like little thing I've been doing on the side. Like, I don't know. And it does make me money every year. So I know it's a profitable business. And I would still be like, whoever bought it, I knew I would be happy to tell my people that it still exists, just that yeah. I'm not the one doing it. So I'm like, 
yeah, like I would totally be happy to do that. Um, and so I, was, I threw it around with a few people. And I remember I actually um, called Paul about it and was like, do you think I can do that? He's like, yeah, for sure. Sell whatever you want. <laughs> so, yeah, it was great. So that's something. And, and just doing all those things, um, yeah, has freed up more time. I mean, like at this point, the book has done really well. So I would say next step now is like I'm, I'm working on another book proposal for number two. So, yeah. Is that what you want to be doing full time is writing books? Um, well, I mean, you guys can probably say vouch for this too. Like, I don't know that you do it full time, <laughs> just in that, like, I don't think you write a book to get rich, right. um, but I did enjoy it. And, um, it's done so much better than I expected. I just, like, I had, I had no idea what to expect. I had intentions for the book when I like wrote it and released it, but I had no expectations of how it would perform or how people would, um, would enjoy it or would not enjoy it like you don't know especially with a memoir memoirs are so tricky because you know that it's totally like a 50 50 of whether or not people will like it um but I think it has started a conversation that I'm excited to keep having and and to like move forward in other directions so um I'm very excited about book number two which I mean you guys know it'll come out in like two years <laughs> right <laughs> Right? Long form excitement yeah. is what writing books is, for sure. Do you have any other experiments on the horizon? So you did a year of less. Can you imagine doing something else either to kickstart a project? Um, and then like part B of this question is how would would you recommend it for other people? Like maybe not even a year of less, but structuring what they want to do more of or do less of in an experiment like this. Yeah, I'll answer that first. I think it with the like the year of less or the shopping ban specifically, it's been interesting because whenever people especially say like, oh, it sounds too restrictive. I'm like, perfect, then don't do one. What I would suggest is to start tracking your spending. Because if I look back at all of the changes I've made in my financial life, like from budgeting, then getting out of debt to then even being unhappy sort of in that year of floundering around and spending all my money, and then doing the year, um, it all came from tracking my spending and like asking myself if I was happy with where the numbers were going. So if the thought of just like outright doing a ban doesn't feel good, like don't do that. I also think like the rules for my ban were easy for me because I could look at spending, like my past spending and be like, oh, I don't want to be wasting money on this kinds of stuff. And I only knew what those things were because I had actually been tracking it for so long. So I would say that experiments like I love that you asked that question because that is what the next book will probably be about um, is doing experiments because I do think part of it is structuring it but I also think a really big part for me is like starting before you're ready and figuring it out as you go along um, because you can't plan for all the what-ifs I couldn't have told you all the things that would happen that year I couldn't have like even like hard stuff like I went through a breakup I found out my parents were getting divorced I could not have told you those things were going to happen or how that would impact my spending my emotions like all my thoughts I couldn't have told you those things so you can't plan for every single thing that's going to come up it's really just like having at least a general list of like this is what I want to be working towards these are the things that I think will help me and then like you have to trust yourself a little bit that like when other things come up you will be able to do it. Um, as for other experiments, I would say that I'm looking as a whole a lot at like digital versus analog right now. Um, so a big thing for me has been um, 
I'll, I don't know if I would call it like intermittent fasting of Netflix, but like sort of something like that. Like I basically am, I've decided like it's not just because Netflix is only like nine or $10 a month or whatever. Like that's not a good enough reason to keep it all the time. So this year I've been like canceling Netflix for a month. And then like when I feel like I have time or I'm comfortable like having TV days and stuff, I'll get it for a month and then cancel it again. Um, and that has helped me. It was one of my goals for this year was I wanted to read more. And so I've already read, well, by the time we're recording this, like I've already read probably 12 or 13 books at this point this year. And that's um, that's a lot for me just based on how much of other stuff I'm typically consuming or doing. So uh, yeah, so I would say that for now. Um, also toying more with just like less time on my phone, um, turning my phone onto airplane mode a lot when I'm working. Um, I have like cut out a lot of social media. So like I got rid of Facebook a few years ago and Twitter is like really on the fence for me right now. (laughs) I've been sort of like checking in with it like twice a week, like again, just like logging out and not looking at it. So I think there'll be more ventures sort of into like whatever the analog world looks like. Um, but it's something along those lines right now. I love all of that. And I've definitely seen lots of really good trends going in that direction too. And it makes me, it makes me hopeful (laughs) in some really good ways. Um, Okay. What makes you feel most boss? Oh gosh. Um, I think whenever I have like little moments with free time or something I'm doing with my time that's for me and I get to just realize like I can only do this or I do this because I work for myself like this is a luxury of working for myself and so whether it's like I just took a four-day trip away to the beach with some friends and like checked my I did check my email a couple times but I didn't do anything you're just like that's amazing and that is why I do this so where can our listeners find you and the book of course I hang out on my blog which is kateflanders.com um kate is spelled c-a-i-t and Flanders, like in Flanders field. <laughs> and, uh, and then I hang out on Instagram a lot. It's kind of the only one I'm still into, despite the fact that it listens to me. Uh, so <laughs> I'm on Instagram at Kate Flanders. Just put it in airplane mode whenever you're getting it on. <laughs> <laughs> number one tip That's my this... biggest takeaway from this conversation. I was just going to say number one tip from this conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to hear about, you know, everything that you've done and how our folks can hopefully take some of this and employ it it in their own (laughs) lives as well. I love it. Thank you so much. And like I said, I mean, I've been listening forever. So thank you so much for everything you guys have been doing. And uh, this was just really, really great. Hey, bosses. I want to tell you about the CEO Day Kit. The CEO Day Kit is 12 months of focus planning for your business in just one day. So Emily and I have packaged up the exact tools that we've been consistently using for years that have helped us grow from baby bosses to the CEOs of our own businesses. Gain clarity, find focus, get momentum, prioritize your time, make better decisions, and become more self-reliant with the CEO Day Kit. Go to courses.beingboss.club to learn more and see if it's a fit for you and your business. 
We'd like to give a shout out to our partner, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. You can try it for free for 30 days, no credit card needed, and cancel anytime. Just go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. Special thanks to our sponsor, 2020, who is offering our Being Boss listeners a five-photo free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash beingboss to get five free photos. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brame. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Being Counter, David Austin. With support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.